SAFM Sports Wrap. That's it for SAFM. Uh, Money Web. Sports wrap time. Seven o'clock is when we wrap things up tonight. And uh, busy, busy show tonight. We're going to be uh, paying tribute to John Alomu. We'll also be touching base with former Protea captain Graham Smith. And uh, a whole lot more coming your way. Let's start uh, with some cricket news. The second test between South Africa and the Proteas ended in a draw today. Another frustrating day for all involved. Natalie Jamal has filed this report. Day 5 of the second test match between South Africa and India followed on from days 2, 3 and 4. It was completely washed out and for the first time in test cricket history, four days of a test match has been washed out in India. In the end, the only play that was possible was on day one, where South Africa bowled out for 214. They were asked to bat first, which was an interesting decision by Virat Kohli, but it worked very well from India's perspective. A.B. de Villiers, in his 100th test match, made 85 from 105, spent 159 minutes at the crease, and hit 11 fours and 1-6, and he certainly was the one shining light from South Africa's point of view. Dean Algot played pretty well for his 38, but generally got himself out, and he'll be a little disappointed with how he got out. But from a bowling perspective, India were very good, especially the spinners. Ravichandran Ashwin picked up 4 for 70 in 18 overs. Ravindra Dadeja picked up 4 for 50 in his 16, while the Indian openers replied on stumps on day 1 with 80 without loss. It's now on to the third test match, and that will be played on the 25th in Nagpur. Matthew Jamanis for SAFM Sport. Other cricket taking place in the Ramsam T20. The Titans up against the Dolphins at Kingsmead. The Titans 24 without loss. Still coming up on the tonight's show as well. We'll chat to Chris Bowers uh, at the O2 Arena to get the latest on the ATP World Tour Finals. But first, uh, on the show, we'll pay tributes to John Alomu. SAFM Sports Wrap. It was a sad day indeed for World Rugby today. The news uh, that I woke up to this morning, John Alomu had uh, passed away. He's been battling with a a very rare kidney disease for many, many years. He had a a transplant a few years ago as well and has really been struggling. I I watched a documentary on him during this year's Rugby World Cup as well where he was in South Africa chatting to a few of the 1995 Rugby World Cup winning box. And, uh, yeah, sad to see he was in great spirits. And, yeah, just really devastated to hear the news this morning when I did wake up and someone who did get to play against him was uh, former box Peter Hendricks. Peter, welcome on to SAFM Sports Trap this evening. Thanks for your time. And I know you... You knew him and our condolences. Yeah, no, like you say, our condolences go to his family and, and uh, New Zealand rugby. And like you said, you summed it up correctly. I think uh, World Rugby has lost an uh, absolute great legend. And it's sad, yeah. Uh, I was a little bit shocked, but um, I suppose that's part of life. Peter, that 1995 Rugby World Cup was a, was a watershed for World Rugby in, in the sense that it was where, where the amateur and professional era met. And, and John Elamu was, was the first real superstar to, to be born out of the new professional game, so to speak. He was just, he, he was larger than life. I mean, if you think of that Rugby World Cup and the, the fear that he, that he put into the opposition, it was an incredible time to, to, to be able to, for me, to watch, but for you to play. Yeah, I think if you look back at uh, 95 when Jonah came onto the scene, I think it's, he made his debut in 94. And like you said, he was larger than life, and that's also physical. Uh, you know, if you had a look, I think he, um, I was considered to be a big winger, and uh, I weighed 96 kg, 182 meters, and uh, Jonah Lomo came in at 118 kg, uh, 196 meters. So, uh, yeah, he was he was... Uh, a monster when he came onto a scene and an absolute freak and uh, I must say I think pound for pound in the amateur era uh, I think he was definitely 
the most powerful player to have played the game at that stage. And um, like you said, in, in, in 95, I was suspended, so I did not play in the final against him. But the next year, 96, I had to face him, and they moved me from the left wing to the right wing to defend against him. And uh, what I can remember was that, if you can recall, in 95, I think the only guy who really tackled Jonah Loma was uh, Yapi Mulder. I think the rest of the guys just caught him. You know, um, so uh, I remember when we played in Christchurch and uh, I was facing Jonah, um, I was screaming and shouting for Yapi Mulder to come over to my side. I didn't worry about the overlap on the other side. I just wanted to, to make sure that uh, we can stop this monster. And I mean it in a good way when I say, yeah. You mentioned the physical bulk, but he could move as well. He wasn't just this imposing character. He was pretty quick as well, and that's what made him so dangerous. No, definitely, like you say, um, I wanted to get to that part, but he had speed as well. You know, when he built up the momentum, he was he was like a runaway truck, and you, you couldn't stop him. You know, and I think that's where South Africa did very well to... to, to um, keep him in his place and make sure that we uh, defend properly against him. And we had we had our plans worked out for him. But like you say, uh, he was a legend. You know, I remember uh, when you played other wingers, you, you weren't that worried the evening before. You know, he had also had his weaknesses when you put the ball behind him, and that was uh, our t- uh, tactics when we played against him to make him turn around because uh, that big bulk uh, piece of meat was difficult to turn around and, and, and pick up a ball from the ground. So that was our counter-attack for him, but uh, I promise you, the evening before, you know, it was, you weren't scared of playing against Jonah himself because it was nothing, uh, or, or you definitely going to put in the effort to stop him. You were scared that the effort's not going to be enough because of the power and the size of the man. And, um, yeah, like I say, he, he was he gave you nightmares if you, if you know that you're going to play against him the next day. Peter, he, he was immense on the field, but he was an incredible guy off the field as well, wasn't he? Yeah, um, we, we unfortunately, I got injured in 97, so I retired out of the game. So I didn't play uh, uh, years after 96 against him. But uh, what, what I know of him was um, off the field, you know. Uh, uh, on the field, he handled himself very well. And he was a young guy who was put under a lot of pressure. And a lot was suspected from the young man, and he left up to it. But uh, I'll tell you, off the field, I think he was uh, a, really a humble man. You know, uh, he never became uh, arrogant, um, although, he, like you said, uh, in the beginning, he became an absolute superstar. So that's one thing that I respect him for, um, is that off the field, he always had time for people to give uh, signatures and uh, to talk to people, took the time off. And off the field, uh, I think, yeah, I didn't have that bigger art when I say it was actually a, a, a very small art in the soft uh, uh, character himself, but on the field, obviously, he, he left up to what was required of him. He also inspired a, a new generation. I mean, I saw a couple of, of posts on, on social media today of, of international rugby players that are playing now. Matt Gittow was one of them who, who said that, that he grew up watching that 95 Rugby World Cup and it was because of John Alomu that, that he wanted to play rugby. He's, he's left his fingerprints on the game, hasn't he? Yeah, no, he definitely did. I mean, at the time when he came in, like you say, he was he was a superstar. And I remember in '95 being part of the World Cup. You know, uh, well, not only was the whole of South Africa talking about this guy, I think the whole world uh, uh, was talking about Jonah Loma. And uh, one of my fondest memories of him was in uh, 
in the 95 World Cup when they played England, where he scored four tries. <laughs> and and demolished my cat. <laughs> yes, I remember Will Carling trying to stop him, but you could see the, 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 the effort wasn't really there to put the heart into it. And like you said, um, my, my best memory of it, my fondness, is uh, when my cat, when he was lying on his back like a cat, trying to protect himself with his feet in the air and the hands in the air when Jonah ran over him. So, um, yeah, like you said, uh, I think he inspired a lot of youngsters. And also, um, you know, he, he made a, a massive change to um, how the game was played later on with the bigger wingers coming into it. Uh, you know, uh, guys that were supposed to be athletic locks, all of a sudden they started to play in the wing and and, and you had this big, fast uh, running players like a Sevilla. And uh, I think that's all was inspired by the player for Jonah Loma. Peter Hendricks, thank you so much for sharing your memories of the great man. Much appreciated, and we look forward to catching up again soon, hopefully under happier circumstances here on SAFM Sport Trap. Thanks for your time. Yeah, thank you very much. Have a good evening. A friendly reminder from SARS to taxpayers. Be tax smart. Avoid penalties. Submit your annual income tax return by the 27th of November deadline. SARS, at your service. Don't forget to tune into the health update tomorrow at 5 past 11. Proudly brought to you by MediClinic, expertise you can trust. The city of Johannesburg will host the 7th AfriCity Summit from 29th November to 3rd December 2015 at the Sentin Convention Center. This is a platform for in-depth exchanges on topics such as decentralization, infrastructure, food security, urban safety and carbon emissions. Network with mayors, ministers, local authorities and representatives from the private sector, civil society and academia. Register now on AfriCities2015.org. Joburg, a world-class African city. This is Sport on SAFM, every supporter's greatest resource. Well, it's time now to head to the O2 Arena in London. The ATP World Tour Finals taking place there today. Chris Bowers keeping an eye on things for us. Chris, what's the latest? Well, Andy Murray has lost to Rafael Nadal. Nadal won 6-4-6-1, which sounds pretty emphatic. It, it was actually more emphatic than it sounds because Nadal was clearly the better player in the first set. You know, we have this phrase from boxing, you know, somebody who's ahead on points. In other words, the both guys are still out there, still standing, but, um, you know, one is clearly ahead. And that was the way Nadal was, even at four games all, because Murray was having to save an awful lot of break points on his serve. Nadal looked very, very sharp. Murray didn't look good. And really, once the first set had gone to uh, the Spaniard, uh, Murray's resistance fell away badly in the second. So uh, Nadal threw. I'm pretty sure that means he cannot now um, be pipped for the semi-final spot, so he's through to the semi-finals and we'll have to see what happens in the second match tonight between Stan Wawrinka and David Ferrer. If Wawrinka wins that, then it's Wawrinka against Murray as a straight eliminator, like a quarter-final on Thursday. It's going to be interesting to see what happens there but also some interesting doubles action taking place. You, you were telling us about uh, early on PM Live this afternoon. Yeah, it's, it's not even so much the doubles itself. It's the fact that uh, there's a French pair, a new pair at the finals, uh, Nicolas Mahou, who we, uh, you may remember was the guy that played that three-day match against John Isner at Wimbledon uh, five years ago. Um, he's having an Indian summer of his career. He's uh, made it to the uh, ATP World Tour finals, partnering a young Frenchman, Pierre-Hugues Herbert. And um, they're, they're the only French representatives here. But the crowd have taken them to their hearts as a result of the atrocities in Paris. and talking to them after their uh, uh, win today, uh, which keeps them in the competition. You know, they were saying that there was the, the football international England against France at Wembley last night, and uh, 
They said even just watching from their hotel room, it was just so emotional for them. And then they come out here and they have a lot of support because everybody wants to show solidarity with the people of Paris. And therefore, the only two French players, um, both of whom are based in Paris, uh, clearly benefited from a lot of support. So it was a popular win when they came back from a set down to beat Zimonic and Matkovsky. And uh, they could yet uh, make it to the semi-finals, but they've got to win their last group match. Brilliant stuff, Chris Bowers. We'll have those results for you tomorrow morning on AM Live. Quick cricket score for you, the Titans, 45 for the loss of one. And speaking of crickets, we'll touch base with Graham Smith next. You're listening to Sport on SAFM, the next best thing to being at the game. This is South Africa's news and information leader, and we are smack bang in the middle of this year's Ram Slam T20. And uh, action taking place down Kingsmead this evening. And we join now by a man who's no stranger uh, to cricket in South Africa, former Pro Tiers captain, Graham Smith. Graham, welcome on to the show once again. Nice to catch up. Yeah, Brad, always good, eh? Uh, thanks for making the time to chat. Graham, it's been, it's been an interesting Ram Slam T20 so far. The Dolphins looking looking really good value. Obviously, they've been, been helped by, by Kevin Peterson. Looking at the, the sort of international acquisitions uh, in the T20 in the Ramslam T20 this season, they're making a big difference. KP has has been been f- phenomenal. It's, it's crazy to think the guys aren't playing international cricket. Yeah, it's been excellent. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, he's been great for the competition, not only locally from a performance perspective for the Dolphins, but um, just the coverage that he's gained us internationally on in terms of the. Uh, you know, the, the competition getting some global awareness is, is excellent. So, yeah, we couldn't have asked for more from him, and it, and it was great because the Dolphins really wanted him up front. They were committed and they went for it, and everything just worked out beautifully. So, you know, it was one of those that uh, you're grateful for. Graham, how much does it mean to, to youngsters coming through the ranks to, to get to play against a guy like Kevin Peterson, or if you look at the, the West Indians in the tournament, a guy like, like Kieran Pollard or, or, or Dwayne Bravo as an example? It's, I mean, that sort of experience, money can't buy. Yeah, absolutely. It's not only playing against them. I mean, it's, uh, obviously it shows whether you've got enough skill or your skill needs to improve before you want to be an international cricketer, but it's also the opportunity for the guys playing with, with those guys, in particular Kevin. has got over 100 test matches. You know, uh, a number of ODIs. He's, you know, so I mean, and he stayed in the most pressurised environment. So the, the opportunity for the guys at the Dolphins to to spend time with him, to talk batting, to gain some insight into the world of cricket and experience, and and the way that he thinks about the game, I think is is invaluable. You know, I think people always just look at the results of how they perform, which is obviously important, but it's also the that factor of experience and. Um, and, and what they've done in their career that they bring to, to these youngsters, which is of huge benefit. Graham, looking at, at particularly international guys that are, are playing in this year's tournament, you played with them at international level. They're still, they still going great guns. Do you, do you sit on the sidelines thinking, oh, maybe I should make a comeback? <laughs> um, it's, you know, I guess it's something that I, you always consider. I mean, it's, it's in your blood, you know. I've been... I played professionally since I was 17 and, uh, you know, since I can remember as a young boy, I've always wanted to be a cricketer. So I don't think it's something that will ever leave me. But, um, yeah, and I think also retiring young and being 34 years old, you know you could still do it. But I think this life's last moved on, you know, there's uh, new challenges and new things that I'd like to achieve. But uh, certainly the game of cricket will always be close to my heart. It gave me so many wonderful, wonderful memories. Uh, you know, I'm just grateful that I was able to achieve the level that I did. Looking at some of the, the South African youngsters coming through the ranks in, in the Ramslam this season, has, has anyone caught your eye and, has, has, and, and really stood out for you? 
Well, there's been, there's been performances around. I mean, obviously, you know, you wanted to see some consistency from the guys. You know, you want to see who's winning games on a consistent level. I think that is the challenge in, in this format is that uh, you want to see guys who can string winning performances together, not one one performance in seven games. You know, you want to see people that can do it consistently. And that's, that shows someone with a bit of class and, uh, and a bit of an understanding mentally about what he needs to do. So, you know, there's been some exciting performances, but I think, you know, yeah, it would be nice in this competition if we could get some someone like the likes of what how KP performed. If we can get a South African player doing that with both bat and ball, then I think we would have achieved something great. Just shifting focus slightly to the Proteas uh, test match in Bangalore rained out for for the fourth consecutive day, so that test match drawn. It's one 0 down in the series. The, the the team had their backs up against the wall after day one. Uh, almost a bit of a blessing in disguise, I, I think, for the team to to go into the third test with with the series still well alive. Uh, what, what's your take on on the way the test series has gone, in particular in India, Grant? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been a bit surprised. We've been very, very tentative. I mean, in the first game, I think we got selection wrong um, on the surface, and we just looked very, very tentative, especially with the bat, you know. So. I think we need to find a way to uh, commit to our skills and then create some good intensity and just get our heads right for the last two weeks of the tour. You know, it's such a crucial part of the tour, especially you know an opportunity to, to get into a series in India. Um, and then with England coming at the end of the year, it's so important that the players that are there come back with confidence uh, in their game and the team is structured and know what they want to do. There's a few niggling injuries that they've, they've got to sort out. And I just need someone to galvanise it, bring it together for the last two weeks of the tour and... Um, Almost take the scruff by the neck because winning in India is never pretty. You've got to, you know, you've got to work hard. The conditions are tough. It's hot. You know, it's it's not pretty cricket. You've got to you've got to show resilience and you've got to fight for for sort of every inch. If if, if I want to use that cliche, so hopefully the guys will will do that. I mean, it would be a wonderful achievement. We last year there we won a Test match in Nagpur. I think Dale got ten wickets in the game, and you know, it was, so hopefully the guys will go back there and there'll be some good memories. Graham, how much would a, would a test match like this one, where it's rained out, where our backs were up against the wall? I mean, I recall a, a test series that you were involved in in England where, where we were dominating the series and then we had a couple of days where, where rain intervened and, and test matches were drawn and, and then England came back and, and if I recall correctly, England won that series. I almost feel we're on the flip side of that coin in India, that this has almost given us a, an opportunity to reset We've got two test matches. We win those two test matches. We win the series, as opposed to going into the last two. No, I mean two nil down. I, I, I must be. I must be honest. I mean, I, I, I truly believe that I, we have we have the skills to in, in our team to really compete in in, in India and do well in this test series. And I was surprised that India lacked a little bit of the venom maybe in the one day series. They looked a little bit undecided of their team and a little bit sort of um, you know not laid back, but just a, a little bit sluggish and. In this test series under Virat Kohli, they've shown a little bit of um, a little bit of fight. They look like they're up, they want to win. And, and the challenge is the guys have been in India since the second of October. Well, most of them have. So you know you're bordering on getting to the back end of a tour, which can get long periods away from home, and you, you can just get a bit sluggish. So after the four days, five days of rain, as I'm saying, they need to get to Nagpur. They need to freshen up, and someone's got to bring the environment together, galvanise it, and. Uh, and get the guys performing well for the last two test matches. If you were still skipper, what would you say to them heading out of the change room in, in Nagpur? Well, I think motivation is always there for a South African team. You know, it's natural in us. We, we fight and we, and we want to perform well. We're proud in our performance. I think the key is now is from the leadership group is to really get the guys to understand what they need to do to be successful there. I mean, there's enough experience in that environment, the leadership coaching group, 
and they need to be training that way and thinking that way in the build-up to the next test match. If they understand how they're going to win in Nagpur, see the conditions, pick the right team, and then just go and perform their skills. You know, if the wicket's going to turn, there's going to be small moments that they're going to have to win, and if they get the opportunity, they must take it. Graham Smith, as always, great to catch up. Thank you so much for your time this evening, and we look forward to catching up again soon. Brilliant, but take care. SAFM Sports Wrap. 34701, that's the SMS number to get your thoughts through on Bafana's performance last night. One rand is what those SMSs are charged at. Well, uh, they did win 1-0 in Durban at the Moses Mabita Stadium last night, giving them a 4-1 aggregate score over Angola, which means they advance to the group qualifying stages of the 2018 FIFA World Cup. Joining us now on SAFM Sports Wrap, man, no stranger to South African football, captain Bafana Bafana to that famous victory back in 1996 at the Africa Cup of Nations. Neil Toby, Neil, welcome onto the program. Thanks for your time this evening. Uh, what's your take on the win last night? Uh, impressive. I mean, we've, we've been pretty good away from home, but uh, 1-0, they did, the, they did the business last night. Yeah, I'd just like to go and start from the beginning, you know, before the World Cup qualifier, you know, uh, it had been a really jittery time for Bafana Bafana, if you can talk about that. So, uh, you know, if you had, at the end of the beginning of the tournament said you're going to win 4-1 on aggregate, well, it was just, it, it's an unbelievable result, and it still is an unbelievable result. But, uh, you know, if you're asking me about last night's performance, if I can term it, it was a very, very professional performance, uh, professionally done, you know, did the job, did the business, but not a great performance by all means. You know, to have one shot, the first shot at target in the 70th minute. Uh, for me, it wasn't a uh, vintage performance by all means, but a very professional job. Neil, the, the team's been performing really well away from home, and obviously coming into last night's clash, the pressure was really off them. I, I mean, it, it would have been a catastrophe if they had lost that on aggregate last night. But, but their performances away have been pretty impressive, and if you look at that Central American tour and, and the match against Honduras and then, and, and then the performance in, in Angola last Friday... Uh, we're doing something right away from home, aren't we? Yeah, I mean, our away from home form has been very, very good. And that's why I'm, if anybody looked at it uh, on Friday, they would have thought we were the home team and last night we were the away team. <laughs> and it's funny how it worked out. Uh, you know, uh, I, I felt that we missed an opportunity last night. Uh, as I, all, I, all I know, the pressure was on that you didn't want to, you know, now go and give all your advantage away in the opening 15, 20 minutes. But I thought it was, there was an opportunity for, for Bufana Bufana to go and really dominate and make, an, make a sort of impact and, and make a statement, if I could term it that, uh, last night and to win them quite emphatically, uh, better than what they did. You know, they only had two shots on target in down 90 minutes. From a home perspective, that was disappointing. But like I said, uh, at the end of the day, you've got to get the job done and you can't fault it for it. Neil, you, you've captained the side to, to, to some pretty big victories as well. There's been a lot of talk in the build-up to, to these two matches and prior to that about Sheikh Mashaba's captaincy, uh, captaincy sort of, the, the way he's approaching it and doesn't have a, a set captain for, for, the, for the team. What's your take on that? Do you, think, do you think he should pick one out-and-out captain, someone who can lead that team into battle? I do, uh, but I think it was obviously, as you all know, it was forced when... when um and Kune was was uh, was injured, so how he would have gone in this match, and I don't think if, if Kune had been fit, I think he still would have used Kune, and Kune was a captain in the last couple of games, so I don't think he would have uh, jostled the captaincy around, 
But in my overall opinion, opinion, I don't think uh, captaincy is there to be jostled around. I think it's, it's one person that should be looked up to, one person that can can get the identity and, and and everybody if they do have a little bit of a problem here or there can turn to. But if you have a different person each time, uh, then it makes it quite difficult. But in terms of injuries, you can't help. But I, I think it's about it, it's it's needed to get one one captain that's going to be uh, you know an ever present all the time that he knows. It. That he's the first pick in the squad and one he can look up to when he needs to liaise with the team and be that middle man. So for me, for me, I'd never jostle that the captaincy is going to be one person. Neil, Danny Jordan was quoted as saying yesterday that the hard work is, is now to come, that getting into the, the, the group stages and, and the qualifying, is, is that, that was the easy, but even though it wasn't that easy to get there. Do you, do you tend to agree? I mean, there's lots of hard work. We have to qualify by right for a World Cup. It's been way too long that, that South African football hasn't been there, considering the strength of our domestic league. This, this is a great opportunity, and we need to make it count. We do, but if you look at the seedings, and that's what we need to really, where we've been going in the last couple of years, uh, Rafana and Africa, I think, are 15, and in those 20 teams that are left uh, in the competition, I think there's only two or two or three that are below us. So we'll be in, in the final group of the seedings, I think, by, by what, I, what, I, what, I, what I hear and what I see. So there are going to be some really difficult groups, but like you say, we, we should be now making an upturn and start going forward and, and making sure that we start qualifying and being ever ever present uh, in the qualification process. But we are there are going to be some really, really tough groups given the fact that, and like ourselves, no one would want to be drawn in our group, and I'm saying that quite openly. So, yeah, but there are some, uh, you know, really interesting groups that's going to pan out. Neil, in your opinion, are we on track from a national team perspective? Are we getting youngsters coming through the ranks? Are we doing the, the right things to make sure that we, we're putting a team at national level that, that, is, that can be competitive with the best in, on the continent and the best in the world in the years to come? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think you have to look at where our game's going. And the 17s qualified for the World Cup. Uh, and the 23s are on the brink if they do it right. And, that, and for me, it's one of the best on the 23 teams I've seen for a long, long time and their qualification process for, for the Olympics. So I think, yes, there's some nice young blood coming through, and uh, if we manage them correctly and we manage the process correctly, I think there are some uh, bright times uh, ahead for Bafana Bafana and uh, our national team, and I think it's you know it's really good our uh, women's team have qualified for the Olympics. So I think it's something to hold on. It's most definitely something to hold on, but obviously we have to keep the high-performance centers and the, and the and that's my job is to get the youngsters uh, coming and fulfilling those roles throughout the years and in the next couple of years. So uh, we must keep uh, that, that sort of habit of moving and producing uh, youngsters. But yes, uh, I believe uh, we are on track if we if we use all the all the correct players and we, we we approach it with a good mindset. I think yes, we can start making inroads and climbing up the ladder of the rankings and climbing up the ladder in Africa. Where, where we should be as a South African yep. team. Neil, thank you so much. Your optimism really excites okay. me, and I can't wait for what the future holds. Thank you so much for your time this evening, and we look forward to catching up again soon. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. The Cabarets. Murder. Winners. Cheaters. Young love. Kidnapping. 
And that's just the story so far. The stakes have never been higher. Catch season two of High Rollers, Monday to Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. Find it on SABC3. South Africa is a water-scarce country with highly variable rainfall. The early spring has not yielded the anticipated rainfall, resulting in worsening drought conditions in some part of our country. Households and businesses are encouraged to implement water-wise measures which include reuse of water. This message was brought to you by the Department of Water and Sanitation. 25 years ago, the world made a promise to children that we would do everything in our power to protect and promote their rights to learn, to grow, to make their voices heard and to reach their full potential. Universal Children's Day on November 20th ensures this promise is never forgotten. Are you aged between 10 and 17 years? If so, call into SAFM Morning Talk and share what South Africa must do to ensure you reach your full potential. Universal Children's Day is proudly celebrated and supported by the NetBank Children's Affinity Program. Visit Facebook at NetBank for more information. SAFM Sports Wrap. That's about it for SAFM Sports Wrap this evening. SMS coming through from Supiwe this evening saying, I'm tired of Bafana Bafana. I think South Africa must just have rugby as a national sport, scrap cricket and scrap soccer. Supiwe, thank you very much for those comments. We're back again tomorrow. Well, I shouldn't say we are. Dwayne DeLocke is with the PSL radio show Second Jalo. 6.30 tomorrow night. I'll be back tomorrow afternoon on PM Live. And uh, coming up on the other side of 7 o'clock, it is the talk shop. All the day's issues discussed. Make sure you stay tuned for that. And don't forget as well, you can also reach out on social media. Just search for SAFM Radio. For myself, Brad Brown, have yourself a great evening. Cricket score, Titans 68 for the loss of one after 8.4 overs. That up against the Dolphins at Kingsmead. Right now, though, it is 7 o'clock and Greg Host has your news.